Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. Our message this morning again is on serving. And uh, this little clip is by Erwin McManus. He's a pastor in the States. And he, he's talking about, instead of just hearing about it, we have to do it. Just do something is kind of the, the title of this clip. And from there, we'll segue into the message. So, ushers, let's receive that. And let's get ready to hear uh, from the Lord this morning. Amen. There's a story in the Bible about Saul and his son, Jonathan. And they're at war with the Philistines, and they're in real trouble. They only have two weapons, two swords. Saul has one, Jonathan has the other. The Philistines have them outmanned and outpowered. And, and so Saul doesn't want to go to war, and he's procrastinating. He knows exactly what to do, but he doesn't do it. So in the middle of the night, Jonathan wakes up his armor bearer, and he says to him, let's go over to the Philistines' side. And what I love about this particular moment is that Jonathan didn't know whether he would succeed. He didn't know if he would fail. He didn't know if God would give him victory or whether he would die in the effort. He just knew that sleeping through life was not the solution. It was not an option. So he got up and he picked the fight. He went to accomplish what God wanted to get done. He didn't know if in this moment God would come through, but he knew that somebody just needed to do something. A significant part of our spiritual journey is that we just have to take initiative. We can't just sit passively by. There is so much good to do, so many opportunities, so many things that if we were proactive and, and took initiative, could see God work through our lives. I think we use prayer as an excuse not to act. I think we, we use a sense at times of waiting on the Lord, but really what's going on is that God is waiting on us. Sometimes the best advice we can get is to act, to just do something. That's a great little clip from Erwin McManus there. Just do something. I like what he said. Don't sit idly by. Watch life go by. And even in praying, sometimes we can be praying and praying, and we're waiting on the Lord, but he's waiting for us to do something. This morning, we're going to talk about service as action. It's not a position. We could have a position in our company. We could have a position in our home. We could have a position in the community. And uh, really, it's not about a position. It's about getting out and doing something and acting. Our first verse is John chapter 13, verses 16 to 17. It's there in your notes. And let's, read, let's go there together. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And I underline blessed are you if you do them. If you've got a pen, even circle that little word do. It's a small word, but it's a really important word. You've got to do the things. This is right after John, uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We were there last week, John chapter 13, talking about that. And he wraps up by saying, blessed are you if you do them. Not just hear about it, not just watch it. We're blessed if we do it. Serving is action. It's getting out there and doing something about it. Good book by Chuck Swindles called Improve Your Serve. It's not about tennis. It's about serving. And uh, he, he writes in there a little example that I want to read for you this morning about serving. And you'll get the point as we get into this little story. He said, let's play, let's pretend. Let's pretend you work for me. In fact, you are, you are my executive assistant in a company that's growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, 
I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until a new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family and move to Europe for six to eight months. And I leave you in charge of the busy stateside or stateside organization. I tell you that I'll write you regularly and give you directions and instructions. I leave you and stay. Months pass. A flow of letters and emails are forwarded to you from Europe from the to the national headquarters. I spell out all my expectations. Finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down the office and I'm stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. Few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room. She's doing her nails, chewing gum, listening to her favorite music station. I look around and notice waste baskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks. Nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I asked about your whereabouts, and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you're finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has temporarily been turned into a television room for watching sports and soap operas. What in the world is going on, man? What do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah, sure. We got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have had a letter study every Friday since you left. We have divided the personnel into small groups, live groups, to discuss many of the things you wrote. Some of the things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs, bullet points. One or two have memorized an entire letter. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, you got my letters, you studied them, you meditated on them, you discussed them, you even memorized them. But what did you do about them? Do? Uh, we didn't do anything about them. Paul wrote letters inspired by the Holy Spirit. God sent us this, and we can get into life groups and look at it. We can come to church and hear about it. We can even memorize it. But guess what? It's an action book. It's a doing book. And Jesus said, you're blessed when you do it. So read, it's good. Memorize, it's great. But really, it comes down to the doing. Jesus said, it's the obedient part. If you call me my Lord, you call me uh, Lord, but if you don't do it, no, it's the doing part. So today, serving is built on action about doing. Ephesians 6, 5 to 8, if you, it's there in your notes. If you want to follow along. If we want to serve, we have to make a choice to serve out of the freedom Christ gave to us. He, he bought us. Very expensive. You were bought with a great price. It wasn't gold. It wasn't silver. It wasn't any earthly riches. It was the precious blood of his son. It was, a, it was a life that was given for us. And out of that expensive price paid for us, we serve. Paul writes here in Ephesians, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. He's, who are you working for? Who are you serving? Be obedient to them. With fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, be real about sincerely want to do a good job. As to Christ, do it for the Lord. Then it says here, not with eye service as men pleasers. You know what that is, eye service as men pleasers? That means when the boss is around, man, you are the best employee. But the minute he goes, you're playing a game on your computer. Or you're, you're in another world. You just checked out. But when they're watching, you're doing a great job. Paul's challenging them. That's not the way to serve because you're serving Jesus and he sees everything anyhow. So whatever you do, constantly do it for him. Now thy service, not as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart 
with goodwill, doing service, doing service as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Now, they lived in a culture where they had slaves. They lived in a culture where there were a lot of servants. As Canadians, most of us don't have servants. Some countries you go to, they have servants. It's a little bit different. Here, we, most of us don't have servants or maids, but certainly back then they had servants, maids, and even slaves. And he said, now, whether, you're, whether you have him or don't, whether you're a slave or you're not, this applies to everybody. We all have to live like a bondservant. What's a bondservant? A bondservant was somebody who was a slave or was a servant, and they were given their freedom. Somebody paid for it, or they did their time, or for whatever reason, they were, they were free. They no longer were required to serve that master but that master treated them so well, they went back to that master and said, I'm free, but you know what? You treat me so well, I so like it here, that I'm going to voluntarily, from my own volition, I'm going to serve you and give it 100% the rest of my life. That was a bond servant. When Paul wrote to them, they all got it. They knew right away what he was speaking about. So we, we have to explain the text a little bit for us here. In the scriptures, a lot of the guys that we look up to, they call themselves bond servants. For example, Paul, Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. So Paul says, I'm a bond servant. The next page, we've got Epaphras. Colossians 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ. He greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Again, serving is not about us. It's about somebody else, helping others. So he's serving you in prayer. Prayer is a great way to serve others. Uh, Cheryl had mentioned earlier the, the cards where write down your prayer requests or on the internet, put down a prayer request and somebody's serving you, praying for you. Here was Epaphras. He was one of those guys who served in prayer. Peter was a bond servant. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. James was a bondservant. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Greetings. So these are just some examples, but they, they identified themselves as bondservants. They're free, but they say, we willingly are going to be a servant for our Lord. Why did they make themselves a bondservant? Why would they sell out like this? This is pretty radical. This is countercultural. This is Really radical stuff to live this life of a servant. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or yeah, chapter 5. Look at what Paul has to say here. Whatever we do, whatever it is, do it because Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. Yesterday at water baptism, these people that were baptized, when they went down under the water, it was a picture. It was a symbol. It showed that their old life was buried. Aren't you glad your old life was buried? Man, I'm glad my old life's buried. I'm so ashamed of things that I did. I'm glad that it's buried. It's gone. And I've been rescued from that to a new life. They had amazing stories and testimonies just as pastor ellie shared her testimony today and we think back oh, man i think you said in the earlier service you wouldn't want to have known me back then and personally when i was in darkness i i'm glad you didn't know me back then 
It was, wasn't that good. I know as Christians we look forward. But every once in a while it's just good to remember where we came from. Because we can get so used to being free that we forgot the price that was paid for us and how ugly it was back there. And we remember how ugly it was and how ugly we were. The guilt, the shame, the dirt, the stuff we did. We realize, man, I am here only by the grace of God. And he loved me so much. Love controls me. I've got to serve others. But we start to think, I've arrived because now I've done this. And we're starting to forget that I'm here today because of what God's done in my life. There was no way I would have got out of that trap except God rescued me. When we remember what he did for us, like Paul's saying here, wow, then we want to be a bondservant. I want to just jump in there and serve in any area of life. Verse 15, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, now he's died for everyone, but not everybody has received it. You need to receive it. Well, no longer, oh, this is going to hurt a little bit. Hang on, fasten your seatbelts. This is going to hurt a little bit. Like getting a needle, right? You kind of brace yourself, so a little needle coming here. Who no longer live to please themselves. We live in a world that's all designed to please yourself. Where it's about yourself. It's in our world culture. You, you live to please yourself. If you go down through the ages, it's been that way. The world will tell you to do something for yourself, with yourself, or to yourself. Greece said, be wise, know yourself. Rome said, be strong, discipline yourself. Religion says, be good, conform yourself. Education says, be resourceful, expand yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied, please yourself. Pride says, be superior, promote yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. Ascetism says, be lowly, suppress yourself. Legalism says, be pious, limit yourself. Philanthropy says, be generous, release yourself. Jesus come along and Paul says, have the attitude he had, which was not about himself. Serving is, it's not about me. It's about lifting up other people. Remember last week at the end of the message, we had this example from Ben Carson, this amazing medical doctor, scientist, won all kinds of accolades around the world. His legacy is this. I'm just using my gift, my ability, my talents, and I'm elevating other people. Hmm. Verse 16. Oh, we're still in 15. We're still getting the needle. Sorry. Didn't mean to leave it in that long. <laughs> he died for everyone, so those who received his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they'll live to please Christ, who died and was raised for them. Now, I don't know how to do this, but somehow, folks, for all of us, myself included, that word we just read has got to go from here to here. It's got to take this 10-inch drop because in our head we get it, but we got to get this in our hearts that I live to please Christ, not live to please myself. So we stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. How do you evaluate other people? The way the world does? He said, once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way as though he were a mere human being, how differently I think about him now. This was Pastor Ellie's testimony. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All the newness of this life from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. 
You saw these the regeneration t-shirts today and we're, we have regeneration. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He washed us by the regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You can get an app for your iPhone called, uh, it's the Strong's Concordance app. And it's, it's a great little app. You can just check out what the word means in the original language. Anybody can use it. Today we have more information we need. If you looked up that word regeneration in a Strong's Concordance, it's a very interesting word. It'll surprise you. The word regeneration means two, it's actually two words in one. The first part of the word means back to, and the second part, the second part of that word You'll recognize the word, but it might surprise you. The second part of the word is Genesis. Regeneration means back to Genesis. Well, we think of Genesis. What happened in Genesis? Well, God created the world, and then we have Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve fell, right? And they were, couldn't come back to the garden. The fellowship with God was broken because of sin. Regeneration means it's back to Genesis, back to what was lost in the garden. And when we realize I've been brought back to this relationship, Pastor Ellie again in her testimony said, when I accepted Christ for the first time, I was actually talking with God. See, the, the first Adam took us from the presence of God and led us into darkness. That's what the first Adam did. First Adam separated us from God. It's really dark back here, you guys. It's a pit. I don't like being in here. Jesus, the second Adam, became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. He went into the darkness for us. He became the second Adam who brought us out of darkness into the glorious light. He's back to regeneration, back to this relationship with God. When we realize that, Paul's saying, that's why I serve. Not because I have to. I'm free. Christ freed me. But I realized what he did for me was so huge, so powerful for the rest of my life. Whatever I do, I'm going to do for him full blast. Serving. Action. Not just intellectual. Not just religious. Tradition. A living, vibrant relationship. Folks, that will change the world. Because not just about us and our four and no more. It's about the world. So who are we a bondservant to? Next page. Our family, our immediate family. It starts right at home. We can have better homes, stronger homes, stronger marriages if we serve one another. Does that make sense? Paul talks about in Ephesians. He says, wives, understand and support your husbands. Man, that's a big job. Just understand's a big job. We've been married 30, close to 33 years, and Cheryl's still trying to understand me. I mean, I, ladies, I can appreciate it. It's, it's tough, but it's, it's commanded. You have to understand and support your husbands. How? In what way? In the way, uh, and in the ways that show your support for Christ. How do you support Jesus? How do you love Jesus? That's how you love and support your husband. Now, it's another tough question for the ladies. Would you ever try to manipulate or control Jesus? No, not going to do that. Well, if you're loving your husband and serving him as you would Christ, then you can't 
tried to manipulate and control him. Let's pick on the men for a bit. <laughs> Husbands, verse 25, do all, go all out, all out, full blast, red line, RPM, red line. Go all out for your love, for your wives. How? Exactly, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Guys, if we, if we love our wives that way, wow. They have no problem with verse 22. <laughs> they're, they're totally cool with it. Actually, if you study the scriptures, if you read through it, I haven't found it, maybe you find it, but I've yet to find a, Bible, a woman in the New Testament who had a problem with Jesus. The guys had problems with Jesus, Oppose him, but we don't read of a woman, at least that, that I can find, that had a challenge with Jesus. Jesus liberated women. Jesus elevated in Christ is neither male nor female. He, he liberated women. And he's telling us as husbands, love our wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did he do? He served the church. He took the basin and the towel and he washed the disciples' feet. He said, This is how you love, this is how you serve. And he said, Husbands, do this for your wives. Daily do this for them. I don't know if the rest of you guys discovered this. Maybe it's different for you than it is in, in our relationship. But if I tell Cheryl that I love her, that lasts about 24 hours on a good day. It evaporates after 24 hours. I don't know where it goes, but it just evaporates. And I, I have to actually during the day it reinforce it a couple of times. I love you. I love it. Because I can tell, if I miss a day, it's, it, that one's gone. It's, it needs a fresh, it's like flowers, you know, a fresh batch all the time. You know the guy who said to his wife, they've been married for about 20 years, and she says, how come you don't tell me you love me anymore? He says, honey, I did. I told you when I got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> Now, folks, that is not the way Jesus loves us. Daily he shows us his love. He's constantly, it's just, it says he, 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 he pours his love into our hearts. He, he, you get a constant download of love from our Lord. And he's saying, husbands, serve your wives this way. Love them this way. Daily, love your wives this way. There's a story about Jack Benny. I mean, remember Jack Benny, the comedian? He was on television a lot a few years ago, a number of years ago. And Jack was a shy guy, and he saw a girl at work that he liked and wants to date her, but doesn't have the courage to ask her out. So he goes to a florist, has a flower delivered to her four days in a row. Doesn't say anything to her, just sends her a rose. After four days, she's like, okay, who's sending the flowers? She goes to the floor and says, who's sending me the flowers? And they tell her, it's Jack. He works with you. She goes, okay. So she goes and finds Jack. She says, Jack, what's with this? I'm getting a flower for the last four days from you. What's up? She says, well, I'm kind of shy, and I want to ask you on a date. And I thought, anyway, I, I, yeah. So, so they go on a date. And so every day on the date, while they're dating, she gets a red rose. And then the dates go on and on. After a while, they get engaged. He says, oh, I'm engaged. The flowers are going to stop. But even after they're engaged, still got a flower every day. Then they got married. So well, that'll be it. But on their honeymoon, where they were, a red rose was delivered every day for her. Honeymoon's over. She says, well, that's it. Now he's kind of got me. I'm married. Honeymoon's over. But 
The next month, after they're married, every day next month, she got a rose. Every month, every year, every day, Mary, his wife, got a red rose. They didn't have the perfect marriage, but every day she'd get this red rose. Until in 1973, Jack Benny died. And that the next day, there's a knock at her door. The florist arrives with a rose. And she says, you know what? I'm, my husband's passed away. Uh, and he said, I know. But he left instructions that as long as you live, we will deliver a red rose wherever you are, Mrs. Benny. So until 1983, every day, a red rose was sent to her. The last day the florist came, he knocked five times, made five visits. And that was instruction that Jack left. Try five times. If you know she's not there, then take the last rose to where I'm buried. And they're buried side by side. He said, until we're together again, bring the roses. Now, that's what I call loving every day the way Christ loves the church. As far as I'm concerned, Jack Benny set that bench mark just a little too high for us. <laughs> but anyhow, guys, you can do whatever you want with that. <laughs> go easy on us wives, okay? Just go easy. We're, we're a work in progress. So we, it's our immediate family we want to love. Paul says children should serve, love their parents. Parents should love and serve their children. So... This servant really starts in our home, having action right in our homes. Then it's in our church family. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. When we have the opportunity, life can drift by. Like Irwin McManus said in that little clip beforehand, he said, you know, we can, we can just kind of let life slide by and we don't even see the opportunities. Someone once said, find a need and meet it. If you see a need... That's it. Jump in there. Do something. Well, I'm praying for it. Praying's good. We don't want to stop praying, but it takes more than prayer. It takes action. We have to do something. We should do. There's that word again, that little word, do good to everyone, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. Paul was an example of that. If you study his life, he's not some John Wayne or maverick that just kind of blasted through the New Testament churches and saying, do this and do that. He was a great example of servanthood. When they land on the island of Malta, there's an example of it, and they were shipwrecked. Who's picking up wood for the fire? Paul is, the great apostle Paul is out picking up wood, serving other people. He was not known for being the greatest communicator, surprisingly enough. Matter of fact, he got criticized. In Corinthians, one of the criticisms that the church had about it was, well, he's a great, you know, great writer. He has these great letters, but when he shows up to speak, it's not that hot, and he's not that much to look at, and he's not that impressive. That's what they said about him. Paul was an ordinary guy that just really was very talented, obviously, but he served. He, he really did. He was a bond servant. He just served people. There's an account in history that says he wasn't the most handsome guy either. Paul, it says he was a moderate stature, curly hair. He was balding. He was scanty, crooked legs, protruding eyeballs, large eyebrows, a long nose, and thick lips. So, you know, there, there's, there's hope for all of us. It's not about your looks. <laughs> You can go places just by serving. There you go. Isn't that true? I mean, the world places the priority. We, so much is based on appearance. You can break through that barrier by serving other people. 
interesting story. We had one of the gals from our church was on a missions trip to the Philippines, and she was really looking forward to, she wanted to meet, and if you're in the, from the Philippines, you'd know this name, Pastor or Bishop Eddie Villaueva. He is a pastor of a large church called Jesus is Lord. They have churches around the world. And she's, oh, I just want to meet Bishop Eddie. If I could meet Pastor Eddie. I mean, she was really taken back by this. She'd read his story and, and how he really was this bond servant for the Lord. And she just wanted to, wanted to meet him. And so they're at the university. They set up 10,000 chairs. It's a big outdoor meeting they do every Sunday. It takes a lot of work to set up for it. And she's asking, oh, do you know where I can meet Bishop Eddie? I'd like to, I'd like to meet him. And and they, so they pointed her toward the stage, and she went up to this guy, and he's up there working, and sweat's running down his face and getting everything set up, helping prepare everything. She says, excuse me, sir, you know where I can find uh, Bishop Eddie Villaueva? He says, yeah, I sure do. So where is he? She says, well, actually, he said, you're talking to him. And she said, it just shocked me. Here was this man of God who's got thousands and thousands of people that he's responsible for, and before this meeting, he's not in the green room. He's there making sure everything's ready. So this man was serving the church family. So we serve our immediate family. We serve in our church family, for sure. We also want to serve our neighbor. Go with me if you have your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And this is the story of the Good Samaritan. We don't have time to read it all, but you're probably familiar with the story. A lawyer comes up to Jesus and, and asks our Lord, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And... Jesus looks at him and says, well, what's written in the law? What's your reading of it? Or what's your take of it? And he says, well, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, well, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Again, there's that word do. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself not liking or serving certain people. I serve these people, but I don't want to serve those people. So I want to justify who's my neighbor. So if you can qualify neighbor, that'll help me because if I don't want to serve you, then you're not my neighbor. I'll just kind of put it, I'll I'll run my life that way. And so the Lord tells him the story about the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan is this guy goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. He falls among thieves. They rip him off. They beat him up. They leave, take all his clothes, all his money. He's half dead, bloody, bruised on the side of the road. A priest comes by who has position, and he sees him, but he goes on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrives at the place, he has position. He comes and looks, but he passes on the other side. You know, you can have a religion, you can have position, and you can have tradition, and you can totally miss the needs of the world around you. Religion has a way of always looking in the past, Very good at reading the journals and diaries, but not very good at the present, seeing what time it is, what needs to be done right now in the present. And that's why churches die and grow old and cold, is because they're living in the past traditions instead of seeing what's happening in our community right now. It's always changing. And I think even as our church, as Coastal Church, we have to look outside these walls and say, what's happening? Who do we need to serve in our community Roll up our sleeves, love them with the love of God, not expecting anything in return, simply to help those who are hurting in our community. And when you do it, not everybody's always going to understand. But when you make the decision to follow Christ, not everybody's going to understand. There's some people that wonder, man, what happened to you? We had the testimonies yesterday. People said, 
that I became a Christian. Some of my friends didn't understand me anymore. They're, what happened to you? There's an old preacher, R.W. Shambach. He says, when you get saved, and you still, if you still have all your friends, you didn't get saved. Because <laughs> when you give your life to Jesus, there's just some people that don't understand you. Some family members, they don't get it. Some friends, I just don't. What happened to you? You used to party with us. You used to drink with us. You used to swear. You, who are you? I don't even know you anymore. Yeah, I'm not the same person. I'm a new person. And when you, when you love radically like this, sometimes even churches don't understand it because you're reaching out out of traditional thinking and you say, I will reach out and help the hurting. So we're to love our neighbor. We're to serve them. This guy in the story, he risked a lot, risked his reputation, his medical supplies, his money, his credit, his safety. He risked it to serve other people risk his position. We, have, we too have to risk our position. Checking the time. I got like one minute to make a point. Here's the point. Canadians, compared to the rest of the world, we have a lot. One of our biggest challenges is not let... Let me put it this way. Your cash and your possessions are not your vine. Your vine is the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't get life. We don't get nourishment from that. And God challenged him. Even in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, you have forgotten where you came from. I took you out of Egypt. I took you out of the mire. I took you out of the, out of the darkness. And I brought you into a new place. But he said, when you arrive... Deuteronomy 8, you can look it up later. When you arrive and you got a nice house and you got a nice bank account and things are beginning to multiply, do not forget that it was I who brought you from there. And I have given you power to get wealth. He doesn't have a problem with power. He doesn't have a problem with wealth. He says, but remember, I gave you power to get wealth that you might establish my covenant here on this earth. So what are we here to do? What should we do with the wealth we have? What should we do with the fine homes we have? And it doesn't much matter where you live here. All of us would have a home that's better than 95% of the rest of the world. Our cash, our position, our wealth, our, what we are able to eat here, God's saying, with that, why have I given you the power to have that? And by the way, he did give it to us. It wasn't our own. This was a gift. And so he's challenging us to serve others with what we have. Last verse, next page, Matthew 25, 35 and 36. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Jesus said, whatever you do, the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. This week, as we go in forward, we will have an opportunity to serve other people. Let's do it unto the Lord. Let's do it for Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.